One Hope Church. Um, we're going to continue this morning in our study of the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 16. Uh, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 6. And we're just going to do a few verses this morning, but they're important verses. They're sometimes uh, misunderstood verses. And so we'll take a little bit of time uh, with those this morning to make sure that we um, have the ideas right here. So let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning, God. We thank you for the privilege to worship you, uh, to do so together. Uh, we thank you for each one who's here. We thank you for each one who's um, on mission in, in Mexico and for each one who's um, back home with their families or on, on vacation, Lord, we pray that you would bless each one, that each one would know your love this morning, that each of us, um, and collectively, uh, we would follow you with our whole hearts. Because, Jesus, you are worthy of that. Um, you were the one who went to the cross, that wonderful cross, and died for our sins and paid our debts there. You're the one who the grave could not hold you and that you will return as king. And so help us to live lives worthy of the calling with which we were called. Uh, help us, Lord Jesus, we pray, to be faithful to you and to submit ourselves to you. To walk boldly with you. Dear Jesus, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. So we'll look in, again, Acts chapter 16. Um, and at this point, we are, we're just getting started with the second missionary journey um, of Paul. And so let's read uh, these verses here. It says, Now when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And they had come down to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. We're just going to stop there. Um, and we're going to talk about this this morning because this is one of those passages that's really important, and it's oftentimes it's, it's misunderstood. Um, just as a little note before we get into that misunderstanding, this is actually, um, in verse 10, is where we see Luke joining the, the, this missionary team. Um, he doesn't make a big deal out of it, because you know, he's not writing to you know, promote himself or to highlight himself and what he's done. So he just says, now after... You know, he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And that's the first time you have that we in there, uh, referring to Luke um, as, the, as the author and the one who now is going to be traveling you know, with Paul and as a witness to much everything else that happens. Before this, he is writing based on the, the data that he's collected from other people, from hearing their stories and you know, writing those down faithfully. And understanding what's going, um, what's going on. Now, as we get to the misinterpretations, misinter um, I've actually heard this said before, 
You know, only imagine if Paul had been allowed by God to go preach in China, then what that nation would be like now. But apparently God didn't want Paul to preach in China because see how the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach in Asia. So there's one. And two, I've also heard, you know, well, you can see clearly here that God did not want the people of Asia to be saved. So that's why he sent Paul to a different place. Okay, so we've heard both of those. Um, and those conclusions, though, are come about for a couple of, of, of reasons. One is a lack of the historical context and, and understanding of the geography at this time uh, and how we use words differently back then and today. And the other is become, by coming to a conclusion, a conclusion of what a passage teaches by ignoring what's come before it and by ignoring what comes after it. Okay, and so those are the reasons that people can come to that sort of conclusion. So when we talk about geography today, when we hear the word Asia, we think of China, Japan, Korea, the Philippines, Thailand. You know, we think of that part of the world, right? We think of the Far East. But in biblical times, when this was written, when the New Testament was written, the Roman Empire was divided into provinces And one of the Roman provinces was named Asia. And it's located in the southwest of Turkey. Okay, so that's modern day southwest of Turkey is the province of Asia. And cities in this province include Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are like seven major cities in that province of Asia. So now we have... The geography, and let's get the bigger picture of the book of Acts. Prior to Acts chapter 16, what is the mission that Jesus gave for his disciples? In verse, chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Hard stop. Like, it doesn't say except for Asia or something like that. You know, it's for the whole earth, right? So that's number one. Second thing, Acts chapter 2 tells us that there were people from Asia at Pentecost when the church was was born, when the Holy Spirit moved in power and you had mass conversion. Some of those people that were there were from the province of Asia. So that's the second thing. The third thing is, um, we need to remember God's perspective towards the people of the earth. Peter gives this in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So as Peter is making very clear two things. One, that God is not partial. You know, he's not looking at one province of a of a of an empire at this time or one nation today and and going to exclude them in any way but he accepts those that fears him but then how is how is he known and how has he come um to peace how do how we come to peace with god it's through jesus christ who is lord of all with no exceptions with no exceptions And, you know, it's a reality that Jesus is Lord of all, whether people accept or believe that or not. 
And one day, each person will know the truth of that reality. We just hope sooner than later. Right? I mean, that's the key element there. Now, if we go further in the book to see if anything else is written about the people in the province of Asia, here's what we find. Because remember, this is Paul's second missionary journey. So on the back end of that second missionary journey, Paul is able to go to Ephesus, which is in Asia. Okay? Now, this is about two and a half to three years after he got the Macedonian call to go over to what, that's modern-day Greece. So when he goes into, he goes into that area, and he's in that area for two and a half to three years before he makes it into Asia, to, to Ephesus. He's there for a short time, and then, you know, goes and completes that journey. But then, uh, a couple of years later, when he begins his third missionary journey, one of the very first places he heads to is Ephesus. And that surrounding area, and it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, about his teaching of the disciples in Ephesus, because there have been people who have come to know the Lord there. And this continued for two years, so that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. So everybody in the province of Asia hears the message of Jesus Christ. So there's plenty of other evidence in the New Testament of God's work in the province of Asia, including the book of Ephesus itself, you know, written to the church that's in Ephesus. Um, then we have, you know, there's, there's plenty of other evidence there. But finally, we'll conclude with Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where the Apostle John writes, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of the God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So there we have the seven churches in that province that the book of Revelation was written to as far as original audience goes. So obviously God loved the people of this Roman province. Obviously he desired their salvation. So what is the, path, what is the point of Acts 16, 6 through 10 other than telling us the historical facts of what God did there? What is the point of that? The point of it is in the timing of things. Okay, it wasn't that the mission had changed. It said there was, that there was importance in the timing of God's mission with particular groups of people. He gets to them, the missionary team gets to them, but it's going to be a couple years later. Why is that? It's because God knew that the hearts of the people in Macedonia were ready for the gospel in a powerful way. And so they were ready to receive the gospel. They were ready for the, the priority. They had the priority in it. Does that make sense? Can we, um, can we roll with that this morning? Can we understand that it's not just a matter of what we do and how we do it and you know, where we do it, but it's also when we do it. 
the when is important in life. When we talk about timing, we need to be ready at all times to do what God asks us to do. There's sometimes that we think God has asked us to do something or we just come up with a plan. You know, we come up with a plan that we say, you know, I'm going to do this. But what about when God shuts a door? What about when God shuts one door and then opens another door? Like, how do we respond to that? What do we do then? You know, because sometimes God is shutting doors in, in one area of life and opening them in another and the question is, in that, are we going to be faithful to change course as God directs? Not as we direct, not as we want to change plans, not as we want to do something different, but as God wants to do something different, are we willing to be faithful to change course? We also need to remember that sometimes what we want is not wrong, but our timing is wrong. Sometimes we're off by days, sometimes we're off by weeks, sometimes we're off by months. Sometimes we're off by years. You know, that God has something for us, but he has it in a different time than we have laid out and scheduled. Sometimes it's much earlier that God wants us to do something different. Or God wants us to, you know, to do a a particular project for him or something of that nature. Sometimes it's much later. You know, and so what we have here for Paul is that in his mind, Asia was now... And Macedonia was later. But in God's plan, Macedonia was now. And Asia was later. You see the difference in that? And so they had to switch things up. He had to switch things up in order to be faithful and to be obedient to God. Now, what we're going to find out as we continue in, in the book and the rest of the story, you know, there is going to be immediate fruit, but there's also going to be immediate trouble. I mean, just in a few verses, you're going to have Paul and Silas beaten and thrown in prison. You know, so we also need to understand with this that not all parts of the result are an indication that we're doing something that God wants or that something that God doesn't want. And that's an important thing to understand in our culture because we have a, we have a, a Christian culture that kind of teaches us and it's it's even um it's so ingrained that it doesn't even have to be spoken it's so ingrained that it doesn't have to be spoken because what's so ingrained is that if you are doing god's will then god's going to make things easy for you to do his will and he's going to bless you abundantly when you do his will And there will not be suffering attached to that. And the inverse is also true. That if you are enduring any sort of hardship or suffering, therefore, you 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 must not be fully in God's will. Because God wants your life to be easy. Is the underlying theological assumption in our culture. That life with God is easy and life apart from God is hard. That's kind of like an underlying assumption. And, and really the biblical response is life is hard. Period. No matter who you are and what you do. Now, if you live apart from God, 
life is going to be hard in certain ways, life is going to be harder. Life is going to be harder in certain ways because there's not going to be the peace. There's not going to be the joy. There's not going to be the purpose. There's going to be the consequences. There's usually going to be more sin involved in not, you know, not wanting to follow God. And sin always has consequence. And so life is going to be harder and more painful in that regard. But let's not, on the other side, forget what the Scripture teaches us for those who do follow God. Scripture teaches us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, you will go through hard times. You will face difficult circumstances and difficult things. So yes, there's hardship. It's just a different type of hardship. It shouldn't be hardship because of our own sin. It may be hardship because of other sin and others, you know, people's reactions to us. And that can bring its own hardship. But we should have less of the consequences of sin in our lives and that sort of hardship if we are striving to live a life that is obedient to Jesus. So it's not an issue of hardship. It's just a matter of what type of hardship you know, how did that come about? Why? What's the purpose? And is there something on the other side of that that's worth it? Because, you see, apart from God, that hardship is just hardship. It doesn't ultimately benefit. But with God, the hardships that come with that are ultimately beneficial. Why? Because they make us more like Jesus. And that's one of the reasons that as followers of Jesus, we have to go through hardships is because Jesus went through hardships. And we can't be like him unless we've experienced a taste of what he's experienced. Unless we experience some of what he experienced, we can't be fully like him. Or more fully like him. Put it that way, because we won't experience fully what he experienced, right? And we won't be fully, fully like him until we see him as he is and our sinful flesh is done away with. But to be more like him, we have to endure difficulties. And so what happens so many times for followers of Jesus in this theological atmosphere that we have today, where we're just taught and it's ingrained that life should be easy if you're following God, that the first difficulties and hardships people well, you know, shun that and run away from that. And they say, you know, God, what have I done wrong? Is a quick response. Another quick response is to blame God. God, you know, if I followed you, I'm supposed to have an easier life. This doesn't seem easy right now. Get angry with God, disappointed with God. Well, this isn't worth it. But a lot of that misses the point. And that's again in that theological construct that we have in the spiritual atmosphere that we have today. You so much of the spirituality is about you know you you know enjoying life to the fullest. Okay? But God's mission, God's purpose for us is different than us enjoying life to the fullest. It's being like Jesus. To the fullest that we can be. And yeah, some parts of that are going to be extremely pleasurable. Some parts of that are going to be a lot of fun. 
Some parts of that are just going to be awesome. We're just giving high fives and we're having barbecue. Like, right? I mean, that's some of that, but that's not all of it. Some of it is on your face before God, just weeping in a pile of tears, you know, a big old puddle. It's a, it's a lot of tears if it makes a pile, but it's a big old, you know, a big old puddle of tears. Big old puddle of tears, right? There's a lot of tears. So we need to remember that and to be aware of that. Because what we're going to see here throughout the, the rest of this chapter is that, you know, Paul and the rest of the team, Silas, Luke, and others, they're going to be, and Timothy, you know, they're going to be obedient to Jesus. They're going to, they're going to be obedient to what I asked them to do, and then they're going to, they're going to receive blessing of that and seeing people pass from death into life, which nothing beats that. And then they're also going to suffer. And because it's a spiritual warfare, we can expect that those things would come together. You know, when we, when we have a, you know, a, a family that comes to know the Lord on Wednesday night, like it happened this last week, we can expect, I mean, should we be surprised if there is difficulty that comes up later that week or the following week? So we should be surprised at that. You know, the problem is that we're a lot of times just spiritually unaware, and so we're, we are surprised. We are caught off guard, you know, when there's struggle, when there's difficulty. But especially when people's lives are being changed, there's usually going to be a price to pay with that. Because it's a spiritual warfare. And the enemy doesn't like to lose territory. And there's going to be consequences of that. So we have to be aware of that and be prepared for that. And how do we be prepared for that is ultimately, as has been kind of our theme for the year, um, you know, pushing into the presence of God. That's how we prepare for it, and that's how we respond to it, and that's where you're able to handle it. Because what we see, you know, later on when they get beaten and they're in prison, what do you find Paul and Silas doing in the middle of the night? Praising God and singing to God. Getting into the presence of God is their response to the trial and tribulation that they've been under. And that's an interesting thing. And, you know... People will forget in a couple of weeks, so I'll go ahead and say it now. Anyway, um, you know it's interesting because as Roman citizens, they were tried. It, it was it wasn't just it wasn't legal. It was wrong, like in every way. But they're in you know their immediate reaction to it when they're when they're in the prison, they're not sitting in the prison yelling about you know these were my rights. They'll get to that later. But their first immediate response was, let's praise God. Let's praise God and pray and sing and give glory to his name. That's powerful. That's powerful. But you know, when, in, when an injustice happens to us personally, our, our first response is usually to focus on the injustice. To focus on the problems. Instead of going to God and giving him praise and glory for the greatness of his name and for his work and for asking him to continue to work. What's so beautiful in this passage here in verse 9, in this vision that Paul receives, a man of Macedonia stood up and pleaded with him saying, 
come over to Macedonia and help us. And if we think about our world today, I believe we have a, we have a lot of that going on. I believe we have, you know, we have people throughout our world today saying, please come and, and help us. Please come and, and show us how we can be right with God. Please come and help us to know how to, to live in a way that pleases God. Please come and help us, is what we see here. You know, and, and you think, well, you know, this only happened, you know, this situation. And, you know, but no, when you hear the missionary stories, you know, and, and, and people that are involved in, in, in mission, you, you know there are people who are hungry. And sometimes it's a reverse, you know, it's a reverse of this a little bit. You know, my parents were in, in India many years ago. There was a man who met them in a marketplace who said he had a, you know, a dream or a vision the night before that he would, should go there the next day and he would meet people who would tell him the truth of God. That's a short summary of it. But, you know, he was, obviously that man, you know, had something in him where he was, he was hungry to know God. He needed somebody to tell him. But you have this all over you know, our, our world today. You know, and since we have that team in Mexico and just thinking about the indigenous people that live in the mountains there and, you know, one of those moments that those of us who were there will, will never forget, um, one of the first times being in this little little town, little, a little village called Vistermosa, which means beautiful view, and it is just that. I mean, it's way up in the mountains and you look out from, from, the, from that little town and you see, you know, just... Beauty. I mean, you just see beauty. You know, and, and we're there, and we were going to show the Jesus film in Nahuatl in their, in their indigenous language, and we had gone around to invite, you know, the people to come. And, you know, so we go knock out all the, all the doors, and we tell them the time that it's going to start, and, you know, we're in this one little house where the family gave us permission to, to show the film, and, you know, there's, we start, and there's just, a, I mean, a, a handful, just a very small few people there are like, well, you know, I mean, it's time. We waited, you know, probably 15 minutes or 30 minutes. We're like, well, let's just start, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, more and more people started coming into that little house. And, you know, and it's a house, it's a dirt floor, and it's got wood slats and, a, you know, a little tin roof. And, you know, the slats are such that you can kind of see. And so you like, start noticing that there's like these, these eyeballs in the, in the slats, looking through to see the film is there's no more room to get into the house. No more room. And so, you know, we realize there's more, a lot more people outside. And we're like, okay, well, let's stop and put it, move it all outside, start over. So that's, you know, what we do. We got a sheet, you know, hanging up, projector deal. And you get about halfway through the film and then it starts to sprinkle a little bit, you know, so we got to cover up the projector Wind starts blowing, so we got like two people, you know, holding the bottom corners of the sheet, you know, to try to have a flat you know, screen. And, you know, we're praying, I was praying like, Lord, these people are here, you know, and, and they're watching this movie of your, you know, about your son, you know, the life of Jesus. And we want them to see it like, please stop the rain so that these people will be able to stay and see this. And instead of the Lord stopping the rain, it just starts to rain harder and harder and harder to where it's a downpour. 
And there's probably about 100 people out there. And maybe one or two people walked away. And the rest just stood in the pouring rain without umbrellas. It's getting cold because we're up, way up in this mountain. And it's the time of year where it, can, it gets pretty chilly. And they're just standing there in the pouring rain watching the Jesus film. And what God was showing us was how hungry those people were. For something to fill them, that void in their heart, in their lives. That's what God was showing us. And so after the film, we said, thank you for being here. And if you want to talk more about Jesus, please come into the house. And if you're not ready for that, I don't want to do that right now. You know, you can go back to your homes and get out of this crazy rain. And, you know, some people went home. Some people went into that house and heard the, you know, had the gospel explained clearly to them again. And, and, you know, some of those that night became new believers, like new followers of Jesus. They have changed lives. And it's been interesting. There's one family... Um, the woman's name is, is Cecilia, and the husband's name is slipped out of my head right at the moment. I know it, but it's not in the brain right now. Um, but we came back a year or two later. We were doing a medical clinic like near there, and she shows up with her baby and um, who was really sick. And she said she had been praying all the night before that God would help her because he didn't have money to go to the doctor, didn't have a way to get down to the doctor. And there we were again. And you just see, like, God's hand in all of that. See God's hand in all of that. And uh, another year we were in a completely different state, completely different state. And we were in Puebla. And it's not, it's not near. I mean, we're talking hours by bus. And uh, we're in this square, and we have been, you know, sharing Jesus with people there. And we were supposed to have gone to another place. And so we're there, like, probably an hour and a half, two hours after we were already supposed to have left to go to this other place. And who do I see, um, you know, walking down the street with some chairs? But I believe his name's Martin. Martin and Cecilia walking through. And they see us, and they're like so excited. They immediately run and go buy like a three liter. They got like three liter drinks there because two liters just isn't quite enough. So we got these like three liter drink, you know, and some little cups, and share. They're sharing with everybody, but you know, they had traveled there to sell their chairs to try to make some some money. And um, yet, the timing of that, and in each of those cases, you see God's hand and God's work and God's timing. And those things that if things are off by a day, or even in this last case by thirty minutes, you miss it altogether. And and in, in that there there's, you know, in in our way of thinking and so much in, in our culture, you know, we're so much a slave of the clock that you know people are like you know you freak out and go well we're supposed to already be in this other place and sharing, you know, there. And can completely miss out on what God's doing at that place and in that moment and with those people. Because the schedule says, 
I got to be over here now. And and granted, you know, we do live in a, and in our culture, people are more on a schedule, and we have to, you know, accommodate and and adjust for that. But hopefully, not to the point that we miss out when God puts somebody right in front of us that we're supposed to have a conversation with, and at least that we say, "Hey, I can't talk to you right in this this moment, but can." You know, later today or tomorrow, I've got this time. Can we do that? You know, sometimes we have to we have to do that sort of thing uh, because of our obligations. But in our lives, let's not miss out on God's work and also in the timing of His work. But the only way we get that is that we come. You know, now this one was pretty obvious. They went all right over to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called them to go preach the gospel. Well, when Paul has a vision where a man says. Come over to Macedonia and help us. I mean, that's pretty. That's a pretty obvious one. Like, Lord, can we can we have them all be that obvious for us, please? You know, we we want that obviousness. But you know, those sorts of stories are not. You don't see them in every chapter or in every verse. You know, they're or they're they're going and they're looking for those open doors and those opportunities as they go. And so that's where we have to be prayerful in our lives and in communion with God. You know, throughout the day. Um, you know, he's not here this morning, but, you know, Marvin went up at Ramsey playing ball. I'm about to leave. I'm kind of frustrated. Hadn't had anybody really to talk to that day. It's like, well, Lord, I'll stay around if there's somebody you want me to talk to. And I look over, I was like, I hadn't even really thought about talking to him. You know, just completely. It's like he wasn't even in the gym. And then it's like, wait, there's somebody I should have a conversation with. And that is, it turned out to be a pretty huge conversation. This is that one conversation has turned into a lot more than that. And that's, that's how it is so many times in our lives if we're willing and we're open and we're asking. And I promise each one of us, if we say, God, this week, give me an opportunity to speak your name and to share your love with somebody, to share your good news with somebody, God's going to be faithful to at least give you one opportunity probably give you more than that, you know, but he's going to be faithful to give you that. The question then is, do I take it when it's there? Do I see it first? I mean, there's two questions. One, do I have the spiritual eyes to see it when God puts it in my face and puts it there before me? Do I have the spiritual eyes to see it? And two, do I have the spiritual strength from God to take it? Do I see it and then do I take it? Because, you know, there's sometimes we see it. And we back off because, you know, of our own insecurities. Sometimes we see it and we take it because it's the strength of God at work in us that we're not allowing the, those insecurities of, of the flesh to win the day. You know, when, we're, when we live out that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of spirit of power and of love and of sound mind, and we live that out, we're able to do it. But understand the source, because that's ultimately a lot of times a problem. A lot of times a problem where, you know, I need to have my own boldness. I need to have my own strength. Well, the scripture says that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So who's the strength in that? Where is the source of the strength in that? And when you understand it's God's strength, then that takes, you know, and you're going to live that out, 
then you're not going to let your own fears and inhibitions stop you from being a servant of God in that moment and to serve others and to love them. Because you're not relying on yourself. That power is within us and it comes from the Spirit of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's there inside of you. And a lot of times it's just waiting for the flesh to get out of the way. Does that make sense? Just waiting for the flesh to get out of the way. And that's where the decision comes in. That's the point of decision that comes in. And that point of faith ultimately that comes in. Whether we, whether we step over the line or we shrink back. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So that's where we have to surrender. Say, Lord, it's not in me, but it is in the you that has been put in me. And to live that out and to let that play out. And I think the problem with a lot of it is, is I can tell the story about this little place, Vistermosa, in the mountains in, in Mexico, and this indigenous people, and everybody goes, yeah, I can see them being hungry for God, you know, and see that. And then yet not see it in the neighborhoods and in the apartment complexes and in the bars and on the ball fields and in the churches and in everything else around us all in our community. There are hungry people here too. Hungry people are here too. People are searching for something to fill the void. Now they might not like the answer. Some of them may not like the answer. Some of them may reject the answer. They may, may not want that answer that's given them. But shouldn't they have at least the opportunity to accept or reject that answer? Shouldn't they at least have that to where Jesus is presented to them and they'll either build, stand and build their lives on Jesus or they'll stumble over him as they reject him, as they spit in his face, as they hate him, whatever it is. Like, shouldn't they at least have the opportunity to have one of those two responses? And I believe we know that that answer is yes because I wanted that opportunity. You wanted that opportunity. To at least have Jesus presented to you to either stand on him or to reject him. And the people in our city, the people in our schools, people in our bars and neighborhoods and everywhere else, deserve isn't really the right word, but they're, they're, they're valuable. In some ways, yes, because they're, they're valuable. They're human beings who God made in his image. You know, and we talk a lot about human rights. But from the follower of Jesus' perspective, isn't the most basic human right the right to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? I mean, isn't that fundamentally the most basic human right? To have an opportunity to be reconciled to one's creator. Be reconciled to the one who made us human. That's our first and most basic fundamental thing of being human is the right to have the opportunity to know God. 
and also the right to reject him. That comes with it, as much as we don't like that. That's part of the deal. So let's pray for the strength, the fortitude, you know, the spiritual th- strength to listen to God, to listen to his timing, and to be bold with the message of Jesus as we go throughout our days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We think of your, your glory and your goodness to us, God. And we ask, we ask you, O oh God, that you would move in us and through us, that you would present us opportunities even this week to share your good news. Lord, we send a few people down to Mexico specifically for that purpose, and we pray that you would bless them in that. We pray for all those going to other places that they would take their opportunities to do that. And for those of us here in Athens, as we go throughout our days, Lord, help us to be bold in sharing your love. Help us to be bold in saying the name of Jesus, your Son. Help us to live out that spirit of power and of love and of sound mind that you've given your followers. Help us to practically live that out, God. We love you. We praise your name. We ask that you would take us to those who are hungry for you. And Lord, as as we come now to take this bread and this cup and we remember the cost of our salvation, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to pay for our our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that it was your love for us. It took you to the cross and held you there. Help us to respond in love towards you and toward our neighbors for your glory for your honor. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.